0: Wolfing down food science.
1: Well, today we wanted to we wanted to drill down pretty much as far as we can go into food preservation, and that is how does it really work? I mean We know that if you boil something or pasteurize something or dry something, we know that it works. But, like, why does it really, really work? (laughs) And so there are a lot of new technologies out there. And we wanted to talk about some of those new technologies and why they work, starting with light or actually specific types of light. So. You may be aware that it's not a great idea to spend excessive amounts of time exposed to sunlight. So you may be aware that that, that can be an issue with regard to your to your skin. Um, but why is it an issue? And this gets exactly to what we're talking about today and this idea that there are a couple of basic ways that we can use to preserve foods. but the way that we're going to uh, start discussing this really is is kind of a double-edged sword, and that's called free radical chemistry. So this may sound like some uh, like some political group. It's not. What we're talking about is the idea that there are some fundamentally unstable molecules, free radicals, and typically they're unstable because they have. Uh, an unpaired electron. So if you remember way back to chemistry class, uh, we have neutrons and protons and electrons, and there's a balance um, that produces a stable molecule. If we have an unpaired electron, then we can have a molecule that really is trying to stabilize itself by reacting with other molecules around it. That's a free radical. We can make these in foods um, in a variety of ways. And one of those ways Is with UV, the stuff that's in sunlight.
0: (laughs) Right. And that's why um, UV light is dangerous to our skin. Do those free radicals um, ignite or they uh, flare up on our skin cells and cause cancer?
1: Well, I mean, you're talking about really high energy, um, really high energy uh, wavelengths. So if we think about kind of a spectrum, starting with maybe what we would use to produce an AM radio frequency or an FM radio frequency. Those are really big waves, and they're generally pretty weak. I mean, they work fine to produce a radio signal, but as the waves, uh, the distance between those waves gets shorter, then we have specific wavelengths that are are more and more powerful and can interact with what we're made of. Uh, specifically things like DNA and RNA and protein and lipids. And if they do, they can uh, damage those. And uh, so the idea then is that if that damage is not repaired, specifically damage to things like DNA, then that can ultimately result not only in things like wrinkles, um, but also in things like skin cancer. If we damage the wrong set of genes. But we're able to use that to our advantage as well, if we can use it in a very limited way. And that is by inactivating pathogens, by altering their DNA and by preventing them from growing as a result.
2: I think that the interesting counterpoint to that is the fact that this does what we want to do with food preservation and that we um, we are inactivating those those pathogens, so we don't get sick. But these methods are doing it without heat energy being put into the system. And so you can really investigate the quality of the food um, without this thermal energy input that is needed with almost all the other methods of preservation that we've talked about so far, except for freezing. Then we're taking it out, but we're not inactivating organisms with freezing, right? So. Um, So I think that these are really interesting that you don't have that heat input that could compromise the quality, but it still can compromise the quality (laughs) because there's no perfect place.
0: (laughs) Is that why um, some produce is like has a light display on it or is that just for marketing purposes? Do you think there's any preservative effect there? No
1: no pretty much just for display just to gotcha. make it look nice and make you make you want to buy it
0: make you look at the fruit but in this kind of technology that we're talking about it's the brightness of the light or the wavelength specifically
2: it's that specific wavelength range that we're interested in because that, those are the ones that are high enough energy that can produce the free radicals and so when you're doing this type of, of processing you have to be careful that you're not exposing People to it because mm-hmm. it does the same thing in them.
1: <laughs> oh, exactly. So, so one way to think of it, you know, the idea of, of uh, the light that we can see is um, is light that um, has that sort of rainbow a rainbow pattern of colors that Roy G. Biv. So, the 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 red side of that is the weaker side. So those are those are longer wavelengths they're weaker in general and as we move from from red to the BIV side and get into blue and indigo and violet um, those are getting more and more energetic the light the, the distance between those waves is getting smaller and ultraviolet just simply means that we're beyond that we can't see them with our eyes they certainly exist and They're quite powerful uh, relative to the light that we can see. So these are smaller and smaller wavelengths. It's it's beyond violet. They're smaller and smaller and we can keep going. There are other other types of rays, gamma radiation and such with very, very tiny wavelengths. But UV is powerful enough that it can inactivate um, microbes by uh, interfering with their DNA and actually by damaging the lipids the, the fatty materials that make up their membranes so we don't even have to damage dna necessarily we can mm-hmm. damage those fatty materials but there's a downside there mm-hmm. as Paige mentioned
2: <laughs> yeah that that lipid damage that lipid oxidation can produce some pretty funky off flavors lipid rancidity
0: oh.
2: yeah so when things go rancid very often they'll um they'll give off aromas of paint or cardboard um and generally speaking that's not what you're looking for for example if you open a jar of peanut butter yeah. <laughs> you don't want it to smell like paint when you open it up um, which I've smelled a jar of peanut butter that's very much like that so it's hard to miss but um and the, the bad thing about it is that Once those lipids are oxidized, they can continue to oxidize other lipids around them. So you just have to kickstart that reaction, and then it'll just keep going indefinitely through the shelf life of your product, product, unless you put something in there to stop it. So Mm. like an antioxidant. (laughs) I feel like this should be superheroes, right? (laughs) you got the oxidized lipid and then the antioxidant. (laughs) But anyway, I've been watching too much Marvel
0: do they perform best when they work together or (laughs) the antioxidant take the take the gold always
1: they can i mean antioxidant is really is really a state it's not it's not a thing this is is one of the things that is kind of a, a misconception about how uh antioxidants work so vitamin c for instance can be an antioxidant under the right set of circumstances. But if you want to think of, about this as like secret agents, you know, you always have those double agents that can like play both sides. Vitamin C can be both an antioxidant, which is what it's most known for. It can be a pro-oxidant under another set of circumstances. And so depending on which one, which role we want it to play, we can put it under circumstances that will chemically cause it to act that way. So. Antioxidants essentially need to be very reactive molecules. And so uh, UV, which we've been discussing, this ultraviolet set of wavelengths, is a way to make molecules uh, react, even those molecules that that would tend to not react. So in the presence of, you know, in the presence of um, that situation then Many of these materials, vitamin C and vitamin E and others, can act as antioxidants, but under the wrong set of circumstances, they can switch sides and act as pro oxidants. So it's 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 peeling the onion. There's so many different layers here to how this works. But I think the main thing is control. I mean that's really when we're talking about food preservation, you know, the big picture is we're trying to control the degradation of this food, because it won't stop, but we're trying to slow it down Um, for the length of time we want to, we want to keep the food in an edible condition. So that's really the question, you know, is how we, how we do that. And so UV can be a very effective technology, especially for things that may may not have a really high fat content at at, uh, doing a a surface type of a uh, type of a uh, sterilization or sanitation of of the um, of the, the material that we're interested in.
2: So I think UV uh, light is used to process water, right? All the bottled water, there's a lot of UV light technology used there to to uh, make sure that that we don't have microbes that are being transferred in pathogens in that, that water, but it can also be used uh, very effectively, not necessarily on food, but on surfaces that food may come into contact with. So it's used to, to clean all kinds of different um, processing facilities and uh, packaging and, and all types of stuff. There's definite um, use of UV light to, to clean things like in hospitals and, and all of that sterilization.
0: Certainly, I have heard that um now that we're in a in the pandemic of the coronavirus um, everyone is suggesting to be outside um yeah. because UV light is our friend disinfecting the benches and everything, but it takes a while I bet um so we should still be careful
1: <laughs> yes well, you may have seen that they have um robots in uh some grocery stores now, and essentially it's a glorified set of UV lights. So if you can imagine like two vertical fluorescent lights, but just replace them with UV lights. They sort of have a purplish glow to them. Um, And so you have this little robot on wheels and it slowly moves down the aisles, obviously with no people in them. And it basically exposes all of the produce or all of the uh, materials in the frozen food section, um, especially the the part that you're going to touch, those those metal doors and such, to UV, and the idea is that you're able to uh, you're able to um, prevent the spread of COVID by destroying it. This is also being used in air filtration technology, so you yes. can use UV inside of an air um, system where the air is moving and it's basically getting um, bathed in UV. Radiation as it's moving through the air vent, and then it comes out of the air vent, and it's, you know, it's it's uh, been uh, processed. I don't know if it gets to sterilization, but it certainly drops the count of a lot of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, micro- oh, yeah,
0: it's like a filter.
1: It's yeah, like, it's like sunlight in the ventilation system. Yeah. yeah. So. Yep. So very interesting technology, but. As Paige pointed out, it's heat free. So, so just UV light by itself. There's no, no heat involved. And uh, and the paper that we were that we were just looking at was the idea of using LEDs. So now you've you've made something that really efficiently produces that set of wavelengths we want, but it doesn't make heat. And so you can have a uh, an environment where there's where there's uh, no heat producing and yet you get this really great UV treatment if that's what you want to do, um, surface sterilization and things like that.
0: Going back to that question I had about keeping produce in the light, um, theoretically, if we were to keep our, our produce, such as our tomatoes and apples that we have in our fruit bowl under a UV light, would it preserve our fruit for longer or anything we kept outside?
1: question i don't know if it would preserve it for a longer period of time i guess
0: killing those microbes that are sitting on the surface and they don't get the chance to break in and feast.
1: you're really making me think about this because because there there is resident yeast on every orange on every apple it's just waiting and some and you know the way that these microbes work the the cool thing about fungi is that they pre-digest their food so they send out digestive enzymes they break it down and then once they soften up the food they can take advantage of it so yeah i mean maybe if you were able to eliminate these spores i guess the question is how would you make this work given that it only works when it's in direct contact so now i'm just imagining like having something that would rotate your fruit so that every oh, you, surface. You can have
2: like a sphere and the fruit is suspended. It'd be all sci-fi in the middle.
0: Oh, <laughs> it would need to be completely um, surrounded by the light. Yeah. yeah, that would make it more complicated. But- oh, but then,
2: and then you're having things that might happen like your pigments may start to oxidize. Right. So it could potentially change the color of whatever it is. It's being exposed, it, you know, whatever produce you have there, if it was exposed for a long enough period of time.
1: But, yeah. Teresa, you're making me think of this must this might be a million dollar idea. <laughs> so now we just have to figure out a way to get every piece of fruit that you you bring to your house through this UV treatment and then into your. Uh, into your fruit basket. Um, you might actually be able to extend the shelf life of it a little bit.
2: As long as it's not bruised or cut or anything that would damage the outside skin to allow more contamination to come in.
1: Well, it seems like this would be sort of the counterpart to IQF, individually quick frozen. Mm-hmm. You right. have, like, individually quick UV.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, UV sterilized.
1: Yeah, like if you could do that, I'm imagining like all the blueberries that we, you know, get in or the raspberries or things like that. I mean, often what ends their shelf life is mold. So
2: I think they are doing that with some fruits. If I remember something that I read recently, that and it might not be UV light. It might be um, some of the other techniques that generate free radicals like the pulsed electric field or the cold plasma. But um, I think they are utilizing it on fruit for just that reason, Keith. To decrease the mold load. Well, and that sounds like a terrible thing that makes you not want to eat blueberries, <laughs> it's
1: like the mold
2: load on the, the blueberries. Ooh.
1: <laughs> well, what's even better is that depending on the type of fruit, like raspberries, certain raspberries uh, are very dark purple. You can't see the mold growing on them because they're so dark purple. And so, yeah, it's it can be definitely an issue where you don't even see the mold,
2: well, but. You know, that that's interesting, um, because I there was an article that was mentioning that you can alter um mycotoxins. So it's mycotoxin is produced by certain mold um varieties, and then that's a poison to us, and very oftentimes it's very difficult to inactivate um and to remove from things, but creating these free radicals acts on that chemical compound of mycotoxin and eliminates that from nice. making us sick, so maybe it could act in like multiple ways. The UV light, I mean, not the mycotoxin. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: well what, one of the reasons, one of the reasons that when we go outside, um, certainly we need to be thinking about the length of time that we're exposed to the sun. But for most of us, there is a certain period of time which is healthy in terms of sun exposure. Uh, and part of the reason is because we are alive and we react, we adapt. And so it, it is important to point out that not all of the foods that, um, that we consume are dead when we consume them. So a lot of foods mm-hmm. um, have been processed and they're no longer alive. But if you think about apples and grapes and um, fruits, especially vegetables, they're alive. And so one of the-
0: That's cool so things- weird to think about. Because <laughs> the meat was alive before you ate it. Yes,
1: and that's yeah, that's no longer alive. But the adaptation is kind of cool because there has been research into okay, if we uh, if we zap these living things, um, and this has been done with things like peanuts, with with different types of berries and fruits. So if we zap them with UV, it's not just sort of a surface sterilization effect but that living thing responds. And the cool thing about it is it can respond in ways like producing more antioxidants. So it's, it's trying to defend itself. Hmm. And so there may actually be some health benefits uh, for humans consuming these things that have been UV treated, maybe some indirect. So perhaps you're eliminating some of those molds and some of those other things that are on the surface, maybe some aflatoxin, but you may also be increasing the amount of these potentially beneficial compounds inside this living uh, fruit or vegetable that you're consuming.
2: Plants are so cool. Uh, <laughs> they're just the neatest thing ever.
0: I've recently gotten into growing my own plants. I have not had a green thumb, but I'm growing <laughs> to love plants myself. I have so, they're my new friends <laughs> in the <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> yeah. New hobbies.
1: <laughs> I understand. Yeah, we we have a coffee plant that we've just started growing, so I'm just hoping that eventually oh, nice. we can get it, can get it uh, uh, growing large enough. We can actually make some coffee off of this plant. That would it. be neat. <laughs> so we'll, you
2: could sell it for a lot of money. Special yeah. <laughs> micro culture climate
1: Really yes. <laughs> specialty coffee. Uh, <laughs> be treated.
0: If you'd like to find out more about our new podcast, Wolfing Down Food Science, please check out our website, where you can find our show notes, reference links, and more. You could find out more about NC State, our food, bioprocessing, and nutrition science department, and FS201, the amazing course that has brought us all together, on our website as well. Thanks for tuning in to Wolfing Down Food Science. See you next time.